0: Everyone has a next step, and with that, oftentimes people have a mission or missions in life. Um, Beyond whatever happens, uh, they're committed to accomplishing that mission. It is the case with us, but if you think about it, it's the case with our pets too. They often have a very focused mission. Our dog Frodo, for example, he is a fun, lively dog, but there's a mission that drives even him. That mission is to obtain my wife's, Amanda's, affection. When Amanda gets home, Frodo's in the window wagging his tail. He'll go through any obstacle in his way to get to the door to greet her. If I hug or show affection to Amanda, Frodo will often squeeze between us. When I'm at home with the kids and Amanda's not home, he's always looking out, waiting for that moment when Amanda will return. His mission is to obtain Amanda's affection. Then there's our cat Bilbo. Now, Bilbo could be sweet and affectionate. He'll rub against your leg and even purr, but this has an expiration date. Because if you don't do what he wants after he shows you that love, then he'll be upset. He'll begin to scratch the walls and even slap you with his paw as you walk by. Because Bilbo has one mission, to eat. He will eat at all costs and he will try every tactic to get you to feed him. And as humans, part of our mission is to make sure our basic needs are met, like eating, drinking, and sleeping. That's understandable. Please keep meeting those needs. Um, But as followers of Jesus, our mission is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ, as outlined in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So, Last week, we talked about baptism. So what does it look like after being baptized if we're saying everyone has a next step? And as you think about this, I want you to think about how do you have spiritual conversations? And could your next step be to help someone else take their next step? Let's turn in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, to find out what Paul says about this. In verse 1, it says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes in life, we're so busy with the day to day, we take a look at a passage of Scripture, we try to gain some quick application or takeaway without truly trying to understand the meaning. As we approach this passage, let me give you some background on what's going on. You see, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is his spiritual son in the faith. This means that Paul led Timothy to Jesus and has taught him how to follow Jesus. Paul is writing to Timothy from prison. This is Paul's second time in prison. And as he gives instruction, he's asking Timothy to visit him because he knew his time was short. We don't know if Timothy ever got a chance as Paul was beheaded in the winter of 68 AD, less than a year after this letter was written. So think about that in this context. That's, that is... Paul is writing knowing that his death is imminent. And he's writing these words of importance to Timothy. So, therefore, Paul understands this need to be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Everyone has a next step spiritually, but before we can help others take their next step, we need to recognize that I'm not helping others out of my own strength, wisdom, knowledge, or spiritual expertise. Every good thing comes from God. We should be trying to teach others to be not a version of our great selves. We are to teach others to follow Jesus, to submit to and rely upon Him. We need to start with that humble attitude. So be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And in verse two, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be also qualified to teach others. I wanted to share an example with you. about someone who came alongside me and taught me, and that was my youth pastor when I was in high school. Um, He chose me among five others uh, in the youth group to be leaders. And he taught me how to do my quiet time, my daily time with God. He taught me how to study the Bible. And he would come along and give guidance and suggestion, but also ask for ideas for games and strategies for youth group. This allowed me to, to want to be invested in the youth group and to invite people to come. I also went on several missions opportunities with my youth pastor to Canada and to Brazil. and both of these, I learned about ministry and actually shared the gospel with many. You see, he didn't just tell us about ministry. He did it with us. He engaged with us and walked alongside with us so that we would then go and be able to teach others. I'm not saying that you need to go on mission trips. This is just my story. The idea is to come alongside others. Now, your mission is certainly to take your next spiritual step. But what if we only ever focused on ourselves? That's not the goal. We're missing the mission if we do that. So is your next step to help someone else to take their next step? So number one, who should you invest in? It says there in verse two to entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So find people who are reliable. First of all, this is talking about someone who has made Jesus their Savior and Lord. A non-believer is not qualified to teach us about others about Jesus. But beyond that, is this a believer reliable? Reliable people are responsive. If you are constantly chasing someone down and they ignore what you say most of the time, that's not a reliable person but don't judge. Maybe the problem isn't they're not into Jesus, maybe they're just not into you. Find someone who wants to learn with you and wants to follow Jesus, or point them to someone else who can help them. And also qualify that they're qualified to teach others. Find people who want to see God not only change them, but change others. Paul is planning for spiritual great-grandchildren. The only way this world will change is by multiplication. But in order to be qualified to teach others, we first must be teachable ourselves. The sign of a mature Christian is their ability to learn and not think that they've already arrived. So the second point here is what should you say? The things you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, in 2 Timothy 2 2. We don't have the luxury of living with Paul for 10 plus years like Timothy did, but we have the Bible. Peter in 2 Peter 1.19 says, The Bible is completely reliable. Even more certain than seeing Jesus with his own eyes as he had done. I'm a strong believer that government, governmental fiscal overspending leads to inflation, which is most harmful to the poor. But that's not what we're supposed to teach. Some of you are passionate about music or dietary programs, sports, politics, or education theory. And they may all be great things and true, but that's not what we're called to teach as followers of Jesus. We are called to teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. In order to teach the Bible, you need to know the Bible. In order to know the Bible, you need to read the Bible. Are you? We can get a 30-day or 365-day Bible reading plan or on-track devotional. We have those available at our Welcome Center. Um, or we can take one of the Bibles that are that are. At our campus every week. They're free, um, but you can also download the Uversion app on your phone. Um, so read a little bit of the Bible every day so that out of the overflow of what God is teaching you, you may be qualified to teach others also. You don't need to be a Bible expert. You just need to share what you know. As one of my college professors would always share, please, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So what should you teach? Talk about what God has done recently. Share your salvation story. Share your recommitment story. Right now I'm going to share with you my salvation story and my recommitment story. When I was five years old back in 1984, I recognized my sin and need for a Savior. And I accepted God's free gift of salvation, believing that God sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and rise again. I grew up in a Bible-believing church with parents who loved Jesus and I would attend church each week. But as I began junior high, the pull of the world became strong. I did not see the benefits of going to church. I just wanted to fit in at the public school that I attended. I longed to feel part of the group, but I was often very passive and I didn't talk very much. I began to attend high school parties when I got into high school and began drinking a lot of alcohol at these parties. I sort of felt like I belonged, but that was a deception. The lifestyle I was choosing to live was ultimately wrong and not satisfying. I began to realize the error of my ways, and it hit home to me following a beer bash I had at my house while my parents were away. You see, my older sister was responsible for me, and I just ignored her and had a ton of people from school over to the house. Then I found out someone was doing drugs in the house, and I said some explicit words that I won't repeat right now. Um, And my sister had never heard me swear before. After that party, my sister wrote me a letter telling me how much it hurt her that, I had, that I'd had the party and completely disrespected her. Then she went on to apologize for how hard she was on me. She would often confront me about my explicit rap music that I would listen to. And I know you may not be able to picture it now, but I was that annoying teenager that you heard coming down the road with two 12-inch subwoofers in my trunk, a 250-watt amp, and I was rocking the neighborhood, you could hear me a mile away. So, and and when my sister apologized to me for how hard she was on me, I was so taken back by this because I was so awful to her. At that point, God began working on my heart. Then one night, my friend and I decided to go to a Saturday night church service at a different church, and God convicted us of the lifestyles we had been living. We knew Jesus, but we were living for ourselves. It was on that night that we said we would stop drinking alcohol, toss our explicit rap music, and pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. See I sought satisfaction in alcohol in friends and sometimes in trying to find a girlfriend because I thought I could find it there. But as King Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, it is all vanity or striving after the wind. And I tell you what, I have not had a mistake-free life since. I have stumbled at times along the way. But what I do have is a desire to please my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, above all else. And my life first comes out of this time in my life. And that is Matthew 5, 6, which says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So that's one example that we can share our story with, with people uh, uh, to help to teach them how to follow Jesus. The second part is teaching them to obey, as it says in Matthew twenty-eight twenty. Our world is weary of words, but it's thirsty for reality. More is caught than taunt. I'm not saying you don't need to use words. Words are necessary, but they're insufficient. People need to see what living God's word looks like. But to teach others to obey, sometimes it takes honesty about our own failures, and it takes transparency and it means time and meals around the table and maybe working together. So our next point here is how should you approach it? Small groups make that easy. You'll con- you constantly hear me put in a plug for small groups. It's not because small groups in themselves are anything special. It's because connecting with others helps us to reach our goals and, and, and do our next steps. It might mean reading a Bible, reading, reading your Bible or reading a book with someone. The accountability comes from another individual or a group. That increases the likelihood that we will read and learn. But maybe you say, but he or she doesn't want to read a book. Well, then maybe he or she is not a reliable person who will be qualified to teach others also. Or maybe they struggle with reading, and so you might want to recommend an audio book or the audio Bible. Maybe someone else will disciple them. But find people who, have to, who want to have spiritual conversations with you and start there. Um, some of the questions to, uh, to give examples that you can ask. Um, what has God been teaching you lately? Is there an area of life you're struggling in? And don't forget this last one. What can I do to help you spiritually? So find out where someone is at and then offer to help them to grow with you. You see, because spiritual growth is not a neat, linear, tidy thing. As, we, as you teach someone in one area, they may be able to teach you in a different area, if you're humble enough to receive it. Share your life, have people over, do things together. Jesus lived with his disciples. They did things together. They told stories. I, I think of the example of the Chosen series. Um... This is a, cheery, a series that you can watch um, on Angel TV. Um, and that is, it just showed an example of how it might have been for Jesus and the disciples. And it shows how they walked together and they lived life together and how the disciples, you know, they had doubts and they had struggles and they, and they worked through them and they trusted Jesus. And uh, so I encourage you to watch that series because ultimately it helps us to see um, you know, how to walk through life following Jesus. Now, in the next four verses, Paul helps us understand how to do this better by giving three illustrations. All three of these examples reflect intensity and hard work. But even beyond that, we need to have helpful spiritual conversations with other believers. The first one is to disciple others like a soldier. Don't get sidetracked. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 to says this, Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. To quote someone in our family here at Bridgewater Tunkhannock, I asked Mike Kamichek, who serves as a Marine, um, and he said that in basic training, you learn discipline and become basically trained. You learn more specific training after that. Then when you go to your unit, you you learn more specifically what they were doing. We typically get briefed prior to a mission based on intelligence by the commanding officer and other factors. We're also trained to perform the types of missions we did. The training involves tactics and use of equipment. Oftentimes the battlefield may be prepared with artillery or airstrikes prior to moving forward. If the military forgets its mission and purpose, it doesn't, and if it doesn't believe We have enemies, and if fails to stay up on training, fitness, or upkeep of equipment, they will lose. In the same way, just like a soldier, the preparation for the spiritual battle would be prayer. Also knowing that we really do have an enemy. The devil is real, and we really have a spiritual battle. So don't get sidetracked from what our mission is. The equipment that we use is the Bible, and it can be misused. So it's important to know how to use it. Everyone has a next step Is preparation for the spiritual battle that exists. We must be equipped by learning and understanding God's word in order to be prepared and then not just know it, but then do what the word of God tells us to do. The next point that Paul has here is disciple others like an athlete. Don't cut corners. 2 Timothy 2.5 says, Similarly, anyone who competes, as an athlete, does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So we need to compete according to the rules, don't make up our own rules. We've been given a guide as to how to work, and that is the Bible. Many people work hard to become the best athlete they can be. They get up early in the morning to work out, they push themselves beyond their limits because their mind is set on a goal to win the game, race, or whatever it is, and to make sacrifices in order to do it. So in the same way, when we are making disciples, disciple others like an athlete. Have that type of commitment and sacrifice. The next point is disciple others like a farmer. Be patient and take time to enjoy the fruit. Verse verse 6 says the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. The idea for a farmer is that he works very hard to the point of exhaustion, and back when I preached, back in June, I preached about marriage. I spoke about how if you do something for your spouse, one thing, that's not good enough. You will indeed fall short in your marriage. We need to be doing our best, being patient, and giving it our all. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not human masters. So, to review, the questions are, Who should we invest in? Who should you invest in? Someone who can be reliable? Someone who is teachable? And then can go and teach others? What should you say? Share your faith story and what God has done in your life. And share from God's word how to obey what God has said. How should you approach it? We should approach it with the commitment and tenacity of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. In other words, work at it with all our hearts. Now, I do want to say this. Each week, there is a message that you hear on Sunday. And each week, there's an application that is given. And what I want to encourage you to do um, is have a notebook. Have something that is specific for sermons that you can write application questions in. When God works on your heart, when you hear a message, Write in that notebook what God is teaching you and then what challenge is being made for that week. Because if you're like me, if you, maybe you think about doing certain things or you put a bunch of whole, whole bunch of notes somewhere and you lose them. This way you have one notebook that is specifically devoted to sermon application. So I'd encourage you to do that because you could also use that, you pull it out when you have small group. And that way, you are kept accountable for those things where God is working in your life. So three questions that I want you to think about this week. Who does God want me to invest in? How should I invest in this person? And what next steps does he or she need to take? And right now, I'm going to pray with you to ask God to help you with this. That God would work in your heart and that God would work in all of our hearts to continue to follow after him and to help others to take their next step. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you God for how much you love us and care for us. I thank you that you've given us your word as a guide uh, on how to follow you. I just pray that we would be faithful in following after you and that we would be sensitive to the people that you bring into our lives, and that we would be open and available to let you use us to reach them. We thank you, God, for how much you love us and care for us, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.